our family went on a road trip along California, and this was one of our sites. This is a picture we took, and uh, it's called, it's in Big Sur. Uh, one of my prayers was, along with safety and driving well, was, Lord, please don't let my children just look at this four-inch screen the whole ride as we're driving along this beautiful creation you made. And God answered that prayer. <laughs> Our kids were really into taking the pictures because how tragic would it be? You're driving up this beautiful coastline and all that someone sees is just this digital screen playing a game and sending pictures and doing likes. It, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with this, but if you miss out on the beauty that's around you, it, it's so tragic and it's so sad sometimes. And so when we look at the Word of God, it's almost like that. The whole Bible is beautiful. It's a gift of God to us to see his beauty, to see his heart, that he loves us, that we are sinners, but he's going to bring us back through a redeemer. And often the whole Bible is so beautiful, but we just take a little peck and few verses here and there that makes me feel good, and we just see this little screen. And we miss out on even more beauty. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of the most common verses in, in the Bible. And people put it on their tattoo arms. They put it on the screen. They have a poster. If you Google Jeremiah 29, 11, all these Pinterest uh, designs will pop up. And this verse, they're not misusing it, actually. But there's so much more in the context that God's given that makes it even more powerful and hope-giving. So today, I want to share a little bit, this is the outline, the problem of Jeremiah 29.11, if we just take it out by itself, like a fortune cookie, the context of it, and then I'd like to share the real hope that God intended for us. So here's the problem with Jeremiah 29.11. Just hypothetically, let's say I wrote a letter to my children and I said, I love you always right? And then uh, Pastor Jesse or, or, you know, or Nathan or somebody in our church finds that note and, and they, they pick it up. Do you think it's weird or creepy if they said, Pastor Jason loves me. This letter was for me. No, it's kind of creepy. You know, you, you are my beloved. This is the day you were born. I loved you. And then if someone picks it up like, Pastor Jason loves me and knows me. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Jeremiah 29, we can't jump right into it and say, this is mine. The first problem is, if we look at it by itself, it could be consumeristic. What I mean by that is, what am I getting out of it? Oh, God has a hope and a future for me. And this consumeristic problem is that we look at the Bible as, like again, like a genie that, that serves me like God who meets my needs. And the problem with this is God has a full context in there for Israel that can apply to us, and I'll talk about that at the end, but we rob the message. It's not mine. Second problem is it's very individualistic. Whenever you hear, be honest, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a future and a hope. Some of us are not thinking, 
God loves the United States of America and all the people of the world. You know what we're thinking? We're thinking, me? <laughs> and that's a problem. Because the Hebrew word for you in Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, it's plural. It's not singular. It wasn't meant for, hey, you. Yeah, Jason, this is all just for you. And when we look at it individualistic, we don't understand that God has a people that he wants to bless. And so was Jesus white, blonde-haired? No, he was a brown-skinned, Middle Eastern Jew. And sometimes we kind of customize him to fit my need, my picture, my preference, and it's not individualistic God that we worship. He's a God of gathering people. There's a third problem with this. It gives false hope. Um, when I hear Jeremiah 29, 11 in college, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me or my grades were not good or my friends ditched me. These are hypothetical. Uh, and, and then, and then, and then I, I, I get Jeremiah 29, 11 and I'm like, God has a purpose for me. Good grades, a new girlfriend. I'm going to get that job. Can I ask you a question? Am I thinking 10 years down the road or am I thinking this month? Most likely this month. In other words, the problem with this verse is we want God to fix us and we want him to fix us now. Did you catch the verse before Jeremiah 29, 11? After how many years? One more time. How many years? After 70 years are over, I have good news. If my kid said, Dad, can I get a new car? Absolutely. When 70 years are done, I will give you any car you want because I won't be alive. And the way this verse is used is, you got a problem right now? Name it and claim it. Today, God will solve your problems. And what Jeremiah 29.11 is, when 70 years are done, I have not forgotten you. I will claim you, and I will bring you out, because you are my people. Lastly, the problem with this is it's very secular. Um, what I mean by that is, what makes a blessing for us when we hear it is usually the plan sounds good, the hope sounds good, you have a purpose for me, that sounds really good. What makes us happy is the product we get from the creator, not the creator. When you take this verse by itself, what gives you joy and happiness is the outcome rather than the giver. There's a word for that, and it's defined this way. Trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. You know what that word is? Idolatry. Idolatry is not worshiping a wooden statue. It is setting your happiness and your security on created things of God rather than the creator. And the big problem with Jeremiah 29, 11 is, God, thank you. See you later. But what does Jeremiah 29, 13 say? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Who is the prize? 
It is not freedom from Babylon. It is you will find God. I am your prize. So the problem with looking at these verses by itself is, boy, we make it into anything we want. How could, how could I not get that job? Jeremiah 29, 11 promised me, God, you failed. And so this is why we set ourselves up for heartbreak. Now, here's something interesting. All of these issues, individualistic, consumeristic, um, secular, all of these reasons are the reasons why Israel was exiled in the first place. They turned away from God. They turned to other gods. They disobeyed God's word. They lived their life as they saw fit. And God said, please turn. Nope, please turn. Nope, I will bring other nations onto you and they will take you away. I don't care. And eventually God brought Assyria and then Babylon and they were exiled. So, what is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11? Um, please turn with me in your Bible. It's, it's fun to follow along in that page, and, and just we're going to go right down it. The first few verses, this first verse, it says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet, it's a letter, sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile. I'm writing to you, Jerusalem Jews, who are living in Babylon, and to the priests, prophets, and they are under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's a letter to people in exile. They're already exiled. And so they're getting this letter from Jeremiah. Is it good news? What did, what did Jeremiah say? Are we, are we getting out of here? Man, what, what's he saying? And then this is what Jeremiah writes to the exiled people who are going, please let it be over soon. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ready? Build houses. Oh, you sure Jeremiah wrote that? You sure it's not Jeremy? I don't like Jeremy. Make sure it's Jeremiah, because Jeremiah knows God. What does he mean, build houses? Friends, what do you, when you build a house, what does that mean you're doing in that community? You're staying a long, long time. Build houses, plant gardens, and eat its produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage. The context here is you're exiled, and it's going to be a long time. What a great letter. Surprise number one is you're in a foreign land, and we want you to settle in that land despite their pluralistic, pagan, idolatrous ways. Surprise number two, it goes on. But seek the welfare. The Hebrew word is shalom. Can you say shalom? Shalom is not just peace, brother. It's, it's whole peace, God's peace, wholeness. Seek the peace, the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. This is the closest thing you'll ever hear in the Old Testament of love your enemies. They've taken you. Here's what I want you to do. You ready? Pray for them. Youth students, you're going to get some teachers this year. Some teachers, you're going to be like, I think that teacher is psycho. You take this verse, if you want to apply it, it says, love them. Pray for them. 
bless them. Bosses, country, president, land. Our job is not to just sit grumpy and complain, but seek the peace of the city because the peace of the city will determine your peace. It's very surprising. Don't resist or fight. Bless them. And this is a very practical call. We'll talk again a little bit more later. But right now, wherever you are, God is saying, I'm the one that's in control. It's going to be a long time before the exile ends, but remember, God is giving this message. So where's the hope in that part? It says in verse 1, who took Israel into exile? It says Nebuchadnezzar. But then if you have your Bible, look at verse 4. Who put them in exile? First person that says it gets a prize. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to others whom I have sent to exile. God, it looks like Babylon came, but God is saying, my fingerprints are all over this. He wants them to know, I am in control. God's mighty plan continues. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For uh, now is the verse. Why? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now it makes sense. You are miserable. You are taken away from your homeland. It's not fair. Life seems like, what is going on? And God is saying, because I am in control and I hold everything, and I'm the one that actually put you in there, when the time is up, there's good news. I will be with you. I will fulfill to you my promise. I will bring you back to this place. It's as if God is saying, remember who I am. Remember me. Remember my ways. My purpose is not to harm you, just like parents discipline their kids. My purpose is to refine you, because as a people, there's a hope. The Hebrew word for hope and future is actually translated, it's the end of this and a hope that begins. Lastly, the context gives us a condition. Usually, Jeremiah 29, 11 is, give it to me, God. Sounds good. New job, new boss. You mean I could get married? I love it. Thank you. It ends with that. But the context continues. Did you read it after that? It goes on. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What is God saying? The purpose of you is not to escape exile. The purpose of you is to, please hear this, join in a relationship back to me. This is God's message for us. God doesn't want us to be religious people. He wants us to be relational people who walk with God, who seek his face. And verse 13, how do you seek his face? You will seek me and find me when you seek me half-heartedly. Is that what it says? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Could you just turn to the person next to you, even if you don't know them, and say, seek with all your heart. Just, just, 
can't find God. Pastor Jason, I don't hear God. Is God real? I don't know God. You have such a close relationship with God. And here it is. God wants to be found by you. But you're so caught up with yourself and what you're not getting and how everything's unfair and how the world's mistreated you, you're not even seeking God. And when you seek God, are you seeking with all your heart? Israel, come back to me. Jeremiah 29 is showing us God is humble, God is merciful, God keeps his promises, and he will continue to bring hope. So that's the context. This is our God. And we've just taken one verse and made it about me when God is saying, I am going to do great things and it's going to be global because out of you, you unfaithful Israel, I will bring a redeemer and he will save all the world. So today, as I kind of line this plan, what's the hope? The hope for us, I'm not Jewish, so what's the hope for me then? I can't apply Jeremiah 29, 11? Yes, you can. But we have to enter into this covenant through a special way. We are not Israel. We're not exiled. We're not Jews who are in condemnation or judgment. But there is a connection. We have a captive. We are captives to not Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon. Who are humani- who's humanity captive to? We are captive to a problem, oppressor called, say this word, sin. Sin is our captor. And we need a deliverer, and you can't deliver it by fighting it. You can't deliver it by yelling and crying about it. You need a redeemer. And the condition that God is saying to you, I have a plan and a hope for your future, even though you're in captivity towards sin, we have it. His name is Jesus Christ. And so here's the verse. Can we read it together? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jeremiah 29, 11 works for you when we enter into this covenant only through Jesus Christ. Then in him you have a future. Then in Jesus you have a hope. Then in him you, even in exile, can have deliverance. So, I want to end with three practical applications. Because that's, that's the key. We stay in Christ. Now it makes sense. First application is this. Our Christian life, young children, youth, young adults, parents, elderly, I don't care what age we are. Christian life is always about one thing. We are deeply devoted, wholeheartedly seeking, and in a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Doesn't matter what you do in church, doesn't matter how good you think you are, if we are not in a walking relationship with Jesus Christ, we have nothing. And if you do have a good life, that's because God is gracious, but the call for each of us is not to have a good church. It's not even to save this church. It's to be the church that is deeply connected to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. It's not measured by how your life is going. It's not about my life is great, my life is bad. Despite all of those storms, it's about who is your security and hope? Jesus Christ.
Second, the application is teaching us, and this is big, I think we need to hear this. There's a huge difference between accepting a circumstance that your life is in or surrendering to the circumstance your life is in. There's a difference than giving up. In other words, accepting the circumstances of your life with trusting God is not giving up. It is a resolve of faith. Your life could be falling apart at this moment. And when you surrender and say, God, you are still in control, that is not giving up. What God is telling exiled Israel to do is surrender and accept this situation and turn to me. Can we have, say amen to that? Sometimes God is not there to fix your life. He can and he will, but our job is to recognize God is the sovereign God of this universe, and we accept and surrender his control in this circumstance so that we can be bold and live in a pluralistic society with defined faith in Jesus Christ. This is what God is calling Israel to do. Remember me. Hold to me. Don't resist. I brought you there, and I'm going to bring you out. And lastly, what does this mean for the church then? If God is in control, this means for the church, bless and pray for the city, for as the city goes, so you go. So does this sound like a church? Whatever it takes, let's just protect ourselves and let's just really have a good time and try to keep this church alive. I don't care what's going on on the outside. Let's just have a good time here and remember the good old days. Is that church? No. Jeremiah 29 is telling us we need to bless this community, pray for this nation, seek the welfare of the country in La Mirada, Whittier, and be a church that is focused not on yourselves, but on what God can do even in a pagan society. In other words, Christians work and stand out, do sports in a way that makes you pop and saturate this community with the shalom of God that you found in Jesus Christ. Put it more directly, we are not at war with culture. We are in the culture to redeem it for Jesus Christ. That is why we devote ourselves to Christ, read his word, and radically love and bless our enemies because the world doesn't do that. Friends, Jeremiah 29, the Redeemer has called us into this hope. This is the power of the text. And as you go home, I want to challenge you, read it over and over and over again because as Christians, we do live in a foreign land because our home is with God. One day we'll all be there. But while we're here, be faithful. Devote yourself to the Lord and glorify him with all things. Let's pray. Can we at least pray for two things as a, before I close in prayer?
that we would seek God and God's face with our whole heart. That when we're so busy hungering after God, we forget the silly things that we complain about. We forget even the troubles. They seem like little pebbles now because to have Christ, we are changed. To walk with Christ and to be intimate with God, it is life. And even in exile, Israel could have this hope. And second, can we pray for this community around us? We don't want them to just come to church. We want them to be blessed and transformed and to know God in a real way. We want them to experience that God is a God who delivers us from the oppression of sin. And so would you just take a moment to pray that your heart would seek God and that we would be a church that blesses La Mirada, L.A., and the country and the world.